0: Okay. Uh, Hi. Uh, Thanks guys for joining in today for the uh, quick uh, web discussion that we're going to have. It's going to be an hour long. Uh, We've uh, gone through the housekeeping. So the first discussion points that we're going to be taking uh, through this essential webinar is the introduction to blockchain. We'll explain what it is. Uh, Essentially, we'll look at the history of the blockchain, how it all began, how the idea actually conceptualized into something that we use uh, nowadays. We'll also look at the uh, categorization, the components as well of the blockchain, and then we'll uh, lastly take a look at some use cases and some general examples where the blockchain technology is actually being put to use uh, um, in the current market. All right, if we could just go to the next uh, slide, Gajin. Okay, so what is a blockchain? Essentially a blockchain is a distributed uh, digital ledger. You can think of this as uh, a digital record book uh, a place for keeping your transactions and your uh, dealings of uh, maybe your day-to-day runnings of your business or uh, your distributions uh, kept safe in a Record book or a ledger uh, you can think of this as an example maybe using the accountant he has a ledger And any interactions that the organization actually takes uh, through with clients or customers is recorded into that ledger and it can be referenced upon uh, whenever need be. So basically the blockchain is the example of a digital ledger, which is uh, basically the same concept from an account's perspective. Okay, so this uh, blockchain technology actually operates on a peer-to-peer network. It's an open source technology and it is essentially decentralized. Uh, How it's secured is using cryptographic hashing, which we'll cover in a bit of detail uh, in the next few slides. And uh, one of the most important things about the blockchain is that it's immutable. That means that it cannot be tampered with or what it would mean is that whatever goes on the chain stays on the chain, right? And uh, another important function is that it is transparent. Whoever has access, if this is a private blockchain, will be able to uh, take a look at uh, what's going on on that blockchain. If it's a public blockchain, anyone uh, is able to see the transactions that have taken place on that chain. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, so a brief history. The idea of blockchain basically started around the late 80s and uh, early 90s, where a chap by the name of Leslie Lamport developed a Paxos protocol. So this protocol basically depicted a type of consensus model that can be used to come to a group agreement for transactions. So this consensus model was taken further uh, into account uh, on designing blockchains and it actually became a blueprint for the most uh, modern cryptocurrencies that we have, i.e. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so forth. Right. But for Bitcoin in itself, that was actually brought into fruition in 2009 via Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, we don't know whether this is an individual or a group of uh, people that developed this blockchain idea or came up with the white paper. We just know that uh, the pseudonym is uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. On the right side, there's just a bit of a quick illustration as to the actual full uh, scale of how the blockchain developed over the years and up to where it actually is now, where we have use of uh, distributed applications or dApps and so forth, which is demarcated under the 2018 year. Right. so if we just uh, start with uh, the essentials. The idea came around 1991. Uh, There was some development going on for several years until 2008 where in 2009, the idea of the blockchain was solidified with a white paper coming from Satoshi Nakamoto. And then in 2010, we actually had the first transactions of Bitcoins, which was 10,000. I believe uh, the essential uh, trade that was done was to purchase a pizza. Um, That was the first noted transaction that was done using the Bitcoin uh, cryptocurrency. And uh, from there, it carried on to the years 2012-2013, where transactions started to pick up. From there, we had a new player come into the market in 2014, which is uh, Ethereum. Ethereum was uh, developed by Vitalik Buterin. He uh, discovered that the blockchain can be used for a whole lot more outside of just things like uh, trading cryptocurrencies. He came up with the idea of using things like smart contracts and uh, engaging different types of uh, transactions outside of a cryptocurrency realm. Then we move on to 2016 where Ethereum actually did come up with the DAO um, idea. This is what actually stemmed a lot of the different um, blockchain consortiums and uh, different uh, competitors within the blockchain technology realm uh, to come up with different types of use cases for blockchain. Then 2018, according to this depiction, is basically where uh, we have more or less stabilized in the use cases for blockchain and we find that a lot of uh, the blockchain instances that we have now have uh, more choice and it's really is dependent on what your organization is aiming to do uh, in making use of the blockchain. Right, let's go on to the next slide. Okay, so we're going to look at some categories now uh, to do with the blockchain. Essentially, it can be categorized as having two. These would be permissioned or private blockchains, and we also have the permissionless or public uh, blockchains. The lesser-known one is the hybrid one, which is something that is a little bit outside the scope of uh, this particular webinar. But uh, it's just good for you to keep in mind that there is a hybrid solution as well. So, for public blockchains, these are the decentralized ones and they're open to anyone to publish blocks. We also have the private blockchains which are more centralized. They can be decentralized as well, but uh, the authorization or the permissions are governed by individuals or owners of that uh, private chain. Right, so one thing for you to just keep in mind here. Uh, Garden, I think the slide has gone off. Okay, okay, thanks. Okay, so one thing just to keep in mind here, essentially, is that you need to understand that the underlying distribution, the resilience, the redundancy of the data that's stored are the same, exactly the same, in terms of uh, how they are stored on either a public or a private blockchain. There's no difference in that. Uh, another thing is that the public... Uh, blockchain itself is more self-regulated. This means that uh, there is no actual central governance. There is no essential owner as such. And the way that it's regulated is via a Consensus method which is known as proof-of-work. Right, Uh, as opposed to the private uh, blockchain which does not use proof-of-work as uh, it is very computationally expensive to run a a proof-of-work blockchain in a private uh, capacity. Right. But another thing you can take into consideration for the private side is that they, uh, they also run on consensus systems. There are different types outside of proof of work, which we will cover just a little bit later on. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay, so we're just gonna cover a little bit more on the public blockchain. So if you see the illustration on the right, it depicts a global uh, icon, which is uh, the earth, and the little squares represent the blocks or the nodes in the blockchain that uh, come up with the consensus to verify transactions to which you see uh, the transaction gets added, uh, or you can see from the illustration, it's piled on top of the other blocks that are in the chain. So essentially that is what uh, depicts the chain in this illustration. So to cover a little bit more on what that means from a node perspective, we can take a look at the descriptions on the left. So we've covered that it's a decentralized ledger, right? and it's open to anyone. This is often open source and freely available, meaning that you can take the uh, source code and develop your own blockchain without any copyright issues or any repercussions on that standpoint. right? Anyone can read and issue transactions of a public blockchain. Then the consensus uh, models that are used, which is uh, mainly proof of work for a public blockchain, are used uh, as a means of preventing malicious publications. What this means is that for uh, anyone trying to maybe put bad data into the blockchain, uh, or try to manipulate the blockchain in anywhere, actually not encouraged or given the incentive to do anything like that because it actually rewards you more to stay on the straight and narrow using the proof-of-work consensus model. Right, so in order to keep this malicious behavior at bay, uh, the reward or the incentive of the systems are set up. What This is what's basically been covered on the, on the previous point uh, for using the proof-of-work. What happens with proof-of-work is that you have your miners on the network. Those miners compete against each other to verify what has been distributed on the network in terms of a transaction. The first miner to come up with the closest um, estimation of what the uh, transaction is uh, in terms of the hash is given a reward and once um, that is confirmed verified by the rest of the peers who are doing this mining activity that particular transaction is added onto the block. Okay right let's go on to the second. All right so it's it's slightly different in the private blockchain uh, or permissioned blockchain realm. What happens here is that the publishing blocks actually authorized by some authority, that means that uh, this is governed. There are people or uh, nodes that run these permissioned or private blockchains that have the authority to decide on whether a transaction is legitimate and can be appended onto the blockchain that is existing usually read access and transaction issuance can be restricted on a private uh, blockchain. That means that the owners of this chain are the ones that actually give access to either view the transactions or to actually append anything towards the blockchain uh, to its members. Different uh, consensus models here are basically less taxing than uh, the proof of work which is in the public blockchain. We have different types of uh, consensus models uh, covered in the private blockchain such as uh, proof of time elapsed or the most famous one would be the proof of stake where the more um, weight you have or the better your reputation is in the blockchain, the higher your chances are of actually being able to approve a transaction on the chain. Right, so private blockchains are usually uh, used by organizations who need to regulate and protect that chain. It may have very sensitive information on it, or it may not be something that is suited for public um, scrutiny or uh, public access. Right, and for this one, trust is not mutually exclusive. Um, so what uh, this means when you say trust is not mutually exclusive is that the people that are governing the chain or the owners that are governing the chain are able to give access to anyone that uh, requires the access and they do not need to trust that person because they would not be able to make any amendments to the chain. This means that whoever has access to this uh, in terms of uh, maybe seeing the transaction data will have need to know type of access. So they may be given access to certain aspects of the chain that require their uh, maybe uh, acknowledgement or maybe to verify that the transaction has gone through. That's all the um, trust not being mutually exclusive uh, stands for. Uh, let's go on to the next slide. Okay so Under the components as well, one of the most important things of a blockchain is its hash functions. The blockchain works with cryptography and the one that it uses uh, as the most common is the SHA-256 algorithm. Uh, So essentially what cryptography is, is a means of encrypting the information that is on the blockchain. It can be, uh, well it is used essentially to encrypt the blockchain itself, to encrypt the transactions and to also encrypt each block that is uh, appended to the blockchain. Okay, So the uh, cryptographic hash function uh, are considered as the fingerprint or a signature of the data set, which is very good in terms of uh, you being able to verify the changes to the data. Um, How this happens is that if any piece of information, once it is hashed and uh, appended to the chain is changed, the entire chain will change. That means that uh, essentially it is very difficult, if not near impossible for someone to change anything out of malicious behavior or any other factors in the blockchain, right? And essentially we can also use the cryptographic hash function to derive the addresses that are used to actually carry out the transactions on the blockchain. All right, let's go on to the next. All right, so this one gives you a very high-level overview of what happens on the blockchain. We'll go in stages. So essentially what happens is a blockchain transaction request is made. And once that transaction request is made, maybe by a user that wants to send a cryptocurrency to another user, or they want to uh, set up a different type of uh, transaction with uh, someone else on the chain, that transaction request is then broadcast onto the nodes that are participating in the chain. Then we have those uh, miners, if this is a public blockchain, validate the transaction and see whether it is something worth appending to the chain. Once that is validated, the block is then created. Once the creation is done, that block is appended to the rest of the chain. After this uh, happens, we can consider the transaction being complete. What this means is that the request that was initially sent out in terms of maybe someone wanting to send a transaction to another counterpart on the um, chain has got this transaction pushed through and it has been confirmed. And the recipient has definitely received that transaction information. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. All right. So this is just delving a little bit into uh, the hashing structure and how it actually works. So the SHA-256 uh, hashing algorithm basically consists of these 32 bytes. Each of those bytes is 8 bits in total. So if you do a bit of quick maths, you'll find that the 32 bytes multiplied by the 8 bits actually equal the 256 bits that are used to encrypt the data that is on the chain. These are usually displayed as a 64 character hexadecimal string, which you can see on the bottom uh, right side. Uh, that's just a small depiction of what it would look like. If you see the statement with certain SHA-256 hash, that uh, string there, which is uh, E3B98 and so on, is literally an encrypted uh, depiction of what is above, which is in the data tab which is essentially the sentence, this is what a 64-character hexadecimal string would look like. So if anything in this particular uh, data structure changes, maybe they remove the capital T and make it a small t, the hash at the bottom will completely change. So this is how it actually weighs into it being something that is um, very difficult to tamper with once it is hashed and appended to the chain. This is uh, one thing that is known as pre-image resistant. So we'll go over that in the notes on the left. So basically SHA-256 hashes, uh, the data of any size into the block to output of a value. But that value will always be 64 uh, characters whenever you see the hash. But the data may be much, much longer or much, much more than what is actually um, depicted from the hash. So it's very difficult for you as a person to get the hash and try to decipher what the actual information is in the data. Right? The hashing in itself is designed to be one way. That means that it's very computationally infeasible to compute the input of the digest. What the digest means is just basically the output. Right? And what, what this also means is that it being one way, would equate to the hashing function being pre-image-resistant. So these hash functions in general are designed to make it infeasible to compute two inputs which produce the same output. So if you take this particular hash and maybe try to get onto a decrypting website and, and just post the hash, you may find that the data that it posts out will be another number or something that is totally not relevant to what data has been actually been put in for that hash. Right. And for you to be able to actually figure out what the exact message was in that hash in terms of decrypting it would take you many, many years to actually break by means of any type of uh, brute force from anyone here that's involved in cybersecurity. You would understand that breaking that hash is quite difficult in terms of uh, trying to brute force or guess what the information is. That's essentially what the uh, second last statement is trying to say. Then lastly, the SHA-256 hash in itself uh, is, sorry, it it hashes data in such a way that you will not get uh, the two inputs that hash to the same output, which makes it collision resistant. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. Okay, so now we're going to just look at another example of a transaction and this is just basically very simplistic. It's just trying to show what happens um, during the appending of a new block onto the blockchain. Okay, so way of recording uh, activities occurring on the chain. Uh, It's used to transfer data and digital assets. That's uh, the means of the transaction. There are two main requirements for this transaction, which is the input, of course, which is uh, your transaction and the output being Uh, the fact that your recipient may have received the the information that they require or that uh, the block has been appended to the chain and can be seen by anyone that needs uh, the access to the chain if it is a public blockchain or uh, by anyone that is given permission in a private blockchain. And typically uh, digitally signed by a sender's uh, private key which is another means of uh, identifying or showing that you are the sender of the transaction and then it's also verified using the associated public key. Right, so in a classic example on the right side, you will find that you have your first block. That block post verification is uh, appended and it begins the chain. That first block is known as the genesis block and it is uh, hashed at the end using the cryptographic hash function that we discussed earlier. The next thing that happens for the second block that needs to be appended is that it picks up the hash from the first block and it integrates the information of the second block into uh, that hash and it hashes the second block using the hash from the first block to create a new hash to connect the third block. So if you see the hash uh, entails uh, between the two or three blocks that we have here, for example, as being the link hence it being called a blockchain so these hashes are the connectors to each block going forward or if you need to verify a transaction going backward you can also uh, go through those blocks to get to where you need to be in terms of uh, what you are looking for on the blockchain right so this this is a very good example of showing how secure it is in terms of having your data stored on the chain Okay, so this is a good example here in terms of showing how the ledgers work, right? We had given the explanation that the blockchain is nothing but a digital ledger, right? And this digital ledger is basically distributed on a peer to peer network. And that means that everybody that is on that network has a copy of the transactions or the chain in itself. If you see the differences on the right side, we have the example of a centralized ledger where we have to go through a clearing house, and then the four uh, separate entities need to all send their transaction to the clearinghouse. The clearinghouse needs to put all that information together and then uh, the transactions are then shared with uh, whoever needs to access that. From blockchain perspective, where you see a distributed ledger, it's done in real time. Once the transaction comes out, everybody on the chain gets to know that there's a transaction being pushed out. It gets validated by the miners. And then once that is done, it is appended to the chain. And that chain is shared across the entire network with every participating member on that blockchain. So it's, it's a, a step up from having a central point of uh, having your transactions uh, processed. Another good thing is that there's no central point of failure. If, let's say, this clearinghouse has to go bankrupt, the four nodes or entities that we have under the clearinghouse have to now go and try to find another third party to go and help them with their transactional uh, day-to-day uh, activities, which is a, a very bad thing uh, in terms of uh, maybe reputation to the company, customers not being able to get their transaction information on time, and so forth. Right, so just to explain a little bit further again from the notes perspective, what we're trying to explain here is that the ledger is basically a collection of transactions, right? Uh, from an accounting perspective, the example is the book ledger. And then from an IT perspective, you can think of your database servers, things like your SQL or your mango DBs and so forth. Right, uh, and then the blockchain, basically as an example here in this uh, blockchain, ledger is distributed and not centralized which is basically what we had discussed that there's no single point of failure because everyone has a copy of the same transactions or basically the same chain okay let's go on to the next slide okay Alright, so we're going to now go on to some use cases. Uh, So at this point in time, you can see that there's a lot of different sectors that are using the blockchain technology. We have real estate, supply chains, some cryptocurrency traders, Uh, the manufacturing industry such as uh, people like BMW are using this finance sectors, Deutsche Bank, uh, Barclays, uh, JP Morgan. Uh, to name a few, Wells Fargo, I believe, is also on some form of a blockchain at this point. We have healthcare facilities. Uh, it's also used in cybersecurity and also for governing law. Okay, so those are some examples that we have there, but we're going to take some uh, of these out as snippets just to give a little bit more details by explaining it uh, further. Let's go on to the next slide for the examples. Okay, so one of the major ones is the finance sector. And what blockchain does is it helps offer solutions uh, for problems that these uh, sectors face usually during their day-to-day work. As an example here, we use cross-border payments as a use case. Uh, And the problem that uh, usually occurs or frequently occurs with finance sectors is that there's too much time taken in completing transactions. And there's less transparency in payments. What that means is that essentially uh, when it comes to the customer making maybe his deal to purchase something online and uh, for them to maybe get um, a confirmation or for the recipient uh, on another side of uh, the border to get confirmation that the funds have been transferred may take anywhere between hours to days, especially if it's a bank transfer or something like maybe a uh, Western Digital that needs to transfer a large amounts of money. You don't need to go through a clearing house and then the clearing house will need to uh, take its subsequent fees from that and then push it through to the next uh, receiver uh, bank or financial institution. And then they will need to go through their own scrutiny as well before it actually uh, reflects on the recipient's uh, maybe account or uh, um, proof of purchase. So a solution that's offered here by blockchain is that uh, what we can do is that we can make use of the support of cryptocurrencies in the in the chain. That means that uh, trade can be done on the blockchain if you tokenize your transactions. Uh, you can add global currency issuance um, to the distributed network. What this means is that you can actually design your blockchain to run in concurrence with forex traders, with uh, cryptocurrency traders and that um, in-between clearinghouse middleman type scenario is negated. You can also uh, create a forex pathway with networking to banks. You can remove middlemen altogether from the transactions uh, verification and increase your overall performance. So imagine from a blockchain perspective, if you had been taking three days or seven days from a bank gyro to having the transaction that you have put through come out instantaneously. These are some of the uh, solutions that can be offered for uh, such a problem. Then of course we just highlight a few benefits to this. The senders and receivers have both full transactional transparency that means that from end to end everyone can see what's going on with the transaction. Uh, It improves the transaction confirmations in terms of uh, rate of return. And then we also have the removal of a lot of fees in terms of your clearance houses, your uh, deductions for transferring the cash, where we can give a good example of Western Union, where you send maybe $100 to someone uh, overseas. You'll find that the person receives maybe $95 or $90 because Western Digital has decided to uh, deduct some fees for actually sending the money over to that person. So, a benefit of using blockchain is that such fee deductions are no longer uh, a problem. Let's go to the next example. Okay, so another good one is the supply chain. Uh, Supply chain, we can be talking about your your grocery stores, uh, your farmers, your uh, shipping uh, companies, people that deal with uh, moving things from one side to the next so that consumers can uh, basically receive their goods. So, what are some good things that we can talk about uh, using blockchain within the supply chain? We have traceability. For this, what it means is that transaction uh, traceability improves operational efficiency by mapping and visualizing enterprise supply chains. An example of this is basically consumers demand sourcing information about the products that they buy the blockchain will help the organization understand the supply chain as well and engage consumers with real verifiable and immutable data. That means that from a consumer standpoint, if someone goes to a supermarket and maybe there is a QR code on a pack of tomatoes that they want to buy, they can maybe scan that and take a look at the entire process of where the tomatoes actually were grown in terms of the farm, how that farm got its seeds, how those seeds were approved whether or not those seeds uh, were uh, modified in any ways. We're talking about them being GMOs or whether they're organic. Uh, A consumer can actually take a look at all that information all the way up to uh, it being placed in its packaging. That's what it means uh, uh, as uh, traceability in this example. Then we also have the transparency. Uh, Sorry, could you just go back? Okay. so. Another uh, good advantage is the transparency. So for this one here, the blockchain function of being a transparent platform holds trust by capturing key data points such as certifications and claims, and then provides open access to this data publicly. Once registered on the blockchain, its authenticity can be verified by third party attestors. So this uh, above information can be updated and validated also in real time. So that means that uh, anybody that wants to show that they have authentic Uh, goods for sale or they have uh, quality checks passed or they meet certain standards. It is all available uh, using the blockchain because uh, the information that is put on there has already been verified and vetted and once it's on there it is there for life. It cannot be changed and it cannot be altered. Then we will talk about how you can use this in trading. So for the tradability aspect of, this, uh, of a blockchain, uh, example here for the supply chain is that uh, it's unique to blockchain, it's a unique uh, blockchain offering, right, which redefines the conventional marketplace concepts. What happens is that using the blockchain, uh, you can tokenize an asset by splitting an object into shares that digitally represent your ownership. Well, uh, this uh, also will fall back to what we had discussed earlier on, where uh, you can actually use um, your blockchain to have transactions done faster and to be instantaneous by tokenizing what you actually are putting on the chain for the transaction. Right, so similar to how the stock exchange allows uh, trading of a company's shares in fractional ownership. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, of a company shares, right? The fractional ownership allows tokens to represent the value of a shareholder stake of a given object. So this is what is basically covered on the the, uh, tradability side of things. People can use those tokens rather than physical assets to actually claim ownership of uh, anything that they are dealing with, maybe from a provider, a supplier, or any other end user uh, in that case. Okay, let's move on to the next example. Okay, so this one is a fairly new one uh, in terms of uh, the blockchain implementations uh, using it for cybersecurity. And it's used mostly on the IoT device uh, segments uh, that I've managed to find so far. And essentially what happens with this one is that the blockchain can be used to verify the connections between different IoT devices and to see whether or not such connections are actually authentic. Right, so we'll read into the notes just to explain a little bit further on that as well. So blockchain technology can be used to secure IoT devices through more reliable authentication and data transfer mechanisms. This means uh, basically uh, encryption of data in transit and so forth. These can prevent hackers from breaching into these devices, which often ship with poor security configurations, which reigns true. If you think about it, uh, when you purchase your, your maybe your Samsung device or any other uh, Android device, it comes with uh, a lot of load there's no real security measures that are t- taken into uh, aspect out of the box. You have to try to secure the device yourself. You need to set up your own types of uh, security measures uh, to ensure that at least the application that you utilize on the phone cannot be compromised, right? And basically uh, leading on to another good case of this is uh, securing data in transit. So the blockchain can secure data in transmission and storage through encrypted blocks, which can only be opened by the communicating parties and are not prone to manipulation. Again, this ties into the immutable nature of a blockchain and the fact that it's hatched all the way from the time the block is actually uh, commenced through the transactions into the validation and verification and into the appending of that block onto the subsequent chain. So that entire sequence is completely uh, encrypted and that goes to show that essentially there is very, very, uh, uh, what can I say, highly unlikely, means of you being attacked or your data being manipulated while the transaction is going on, because the encryption is quite strong. Then we can also use it to secure networks. Blockchain technology can also be used here to secure networks by using stringent infrastructure uh, pre- uh, to prevent unauthorized connections and communication. Okay, what does this mean? When you secure a network from an IT perspective, you have a lot of things that you need to consider. The type of firewalls that you use, the type of intrusion prevention solutions that you have, uh, the type of uh, ports that you'll use for communicating, especially outside of the network and so forth. Now, blockchain can offer a solution uh, for this by further securing those uh, networks by using encryption. And it can also be used as a means of uh, highlighting irregularities Um, during such uh, transactions in terms of maybe uh, someone trying to carry out a man in the middle attack or someone trying to spoof a transaction, uh, it would definitely not be able to go through because that person, that man in the middle or that spoof attacker would need to amend the entire chain uh, before they can uh, seed their way into a network or, or anything like that in terms of an attack from that perspective. Uh, right, so we can open up to uh, questions. I think Guardian, you can open up the microphone or you can also type in the group chat if you have any queries, I'll help answer those. I want to ask one question. On the blockchain technology, can it be applied to the uh, personal identity for usage of security in the airport? Uh, yes, it can. Uh, Brian, you have, you have some thoughts on that? Okay, uh, so you're talking about uh, things like your identity management within a corporate uh, environment? No, oh, in an airport uh, means that passenger going coming in from overseas and going out back to overseas, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, so essentially, yes, a transaction can be put onto a ledger uh, for such uh, record keeping. But uh, in this instance, it's not exactly a great use case for the blockchain. I mean, a database can do pretty good at that. Uh, I suppose oh. the booking systems and so forth will have that information already. So that uh, means that uh, it's not used right now in airport industry, is it? Uh, there may be some other use cases in the uh, airport or the uh, airline business for a blockchain. But uh, I wouldn't be too sure on actual uh, booking, record keeping, and so forth. I think that one is pretty well managed under the system. Uh, Blockchain doesn't solve everything. It's there (laughs) for specific use cases in terms of uh, things that you would like to, uh, how can I say, get rid of middlemen. Things that uh, require um, quicker transaction uh, recording and so forth. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, Thanks, Elizabeth. Uh, Good question. Okay, so the question from Elizabeth is what sort of server architecture is required to run the encryption process for centralized users below 600? Okay, and uh, will open source uh, software be able to cater to the encryption process uh, or the input output, basically? Okay. All right. So essentially, when it comes to the encryption on the blockchain, it uh, does depend on your design. And uh, from a server architecture perspective, what this actually aims to do, especially if you're going to be using a public blockchain, is not to have a centralized means uh, of infrastructure. So if you look at the blockchain, the blockchain is just basically there to help facilitate transactions across a broad network uh, and to have it verified by uh, multiple peers. But to uh, looking at your query on server architecture, I would assume that this is a private blockchain. And if you are looking at the encryption process, okay, uh, the encryption process can be designed by your uh, development team according to your use case. So from what I'm seeing here, you're looking at a centralized user database and you'd like to use it maybe for uh, Identity access management. Would that be correct, Elizabeth? IDM. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, okay. So a blockchain essentially would not really help you in in this aspect. Essentially what it's there for is more for uh, the transaction ends uh, and so forth. When it comes to your user management, that is taken care of by your uh, your server, your server, um, what's this? Your server, your centralized server management, like your Active Directory, your um, LDAPs, and so forth.